0: hello and welcome everyone to another episode of whatever is true uh i'm here it's fox it's tk and we don't have a guest but we're going to hold off on introducing him or her, Um, because, uh, you know, keep the tension going for a bit longer. Uh, But you are on an episode of Whatever is True. It's a podcast that we've designed and thought about because we just think it's great to fill your ears and your minds and your hearts with things that are true from Scripture. And particularly, we want to think about filling our hearts and minds with things from John's Gospel, because as a church family, at the moment, we're reading through John. Uh, And today, we're really going to think a bit about how to read John well. And so now is the time to introduce our special guest. See if you can guess who it is. He's going to just say hello.
1: Hello. Who
0: is it? Uh, you can't respond because you're not here, but it's Wal. Uh, Wall is here and he's going to help us think about how to read John well, particularly uh, how to read John well as narrative. And so I'm going to hand over to I mean, What do you mean by this? How do, what do you mean when you say read John well as narrative?
1: Yeah, thanks so much for doing this podcast. I've been enjoying it and it's um, it's really stimulating to think through some of these questions. I feel a bit nervous almost when you say that I'm here to talk about how to read John well because I find John hard and I always have found John hard. I feel much more at home in Matthew, Mark and Luke. But I guess what I mean is reading narrative well uh, in the Bible. So um, I think one of the things that we often uh, talk about, especially say if we're doing some training on... Uh, You know how to be a Bible study leader or or how to prepare a a study on a particular passage, one of the things we often say you need to think about is, what's the genre here? What what type of literature is it? I think sometimes we're not as good at then helping people figure out why is that an important thing to consider? What, What changes, depending on what your answer is there? And so we know that narrative is such a big part of the Bible, certainly in the Old Testament. Huge sections of the Old Testament come to us in the form of narrative but even in the, in the New Testament, the four Gospels, obviously, and, and even the book of Acts. And we have to think really carefully about that. My hunch is a lot of the kerfuffles that might happen in the book of Acts and you probably haven't used the word kerfuffle on this podcast before. But we're going to bring in another word. <laughs> a lot of the, uh, I reckon a lot of the, the kerfuffles that happen, say, in the Book of Acts, are probably come down to, how are we reading it? And can you draw theology from narrative? And hmm. and if so, how? And, and if you can't, where can't you? And how do you make all those decisions? So well, what sort of kerfuffle
0: are you thinking of? Well, oh, well in it? the Book of Acts, yeah. I don't know that I want to get into them. <laughs> but a lot of the ones, say, for example,
1: about miracles or about the role of the Holy Spirit, you're reading a narrative and trying to think, how do we take theological truth from that? But, but you have to do the same when you're reading the story of Joseph in Genesis, like we did a few years ago at church, or, or now in John's Gospel, reading uh, this account of Jesus' life and public ministry.
2: Hmm.
1: So I like thinking about narrative. I think I've told... Uh, you tell me to switch any time. I think I've told some of you before, um, or I've told you two before, I like to know the story of a movie before I go and see the movie. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's yeah, because it so allows weird. me. Yeah. <laughs> but it's because it allows me to think about how the story is told to me, not just what's in the story. I I really like thinking about how mm. the story is told. Mm.
2: Yeah. So reading the gospel again and again, you enjoy
1: yeah. that. Yeah, that's right. I think sometimes people talk about um you kind of read it, I think the fancy word might be iteratively. Like you read it again and again and and each time you read it you're reading it now on the basis of a bigger knowledge of the whole and where mm-hmm. the whole thing is going, even as you're still maybe in chapter 2 or chapter 6. Or, but yeah. you kind of, you know, the whole thing informs the bit and the bit informs the yeah. whole. And, yeah. and it seems like
2: John, oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, it seems like John encourages that because of like even in chapter 2 with the clearing of the temple, yeah. he makes a reference to the resurrection, which yeah. we haven't got to in John's gospel yet. But sure. so there, there's that little nod. And when you read it again, you're like, oh, Definitely. you're there yeah. with the disciples. Yeah.
0: I was going to give you an example as well, but from John 7, which we're going to get to this week, uh, where you can see the language he uses about him departing and the spirit coming. You go, oh, yeah, like, this John 14 to 17 when he starts to... Anyway. So I think uh, I've, I've yeah.
1: shared with you as well uh, an article by Don Carson on misunderstandings in John's Gospel. Mm. And John's Gospel, I think, probably has the greatest number of misunderstandings, but a number of them, a really high proportion of them, aren't resolved until the death and resurrection. So it's essentially the, the very thing you guys have just talked about that you, you need to read the, all the bits of John in light of the end of John and detail you know, yeah. back to uh, vice versa.
0: I mean, we were chatting before we started recording mm. about just story in the secular world versus story mm. theologically. Uh, I mean, TK, you had some of my thoughts. Um, I mean, what were you getting at when you were just chatting about that?
2: Yeah, I guess I was just thinking about, when we think about narrative, um, what are the, I guess... The, that word when we think about it in just secular western culture what do we mean and um, can that get us into any problems as we think about narrative in the bible mm-hmm. you know um, in western culture we have an interesting um, I think relationship with narrative we love story we, we consume story in huge amounts through tv through books whatever it is um, and, and I think sometimes we mistakenly use story as an argument um to make a point when at best stories can be like illustrations or a testimony of something that's happened not necessarily an argument um but it really feels like when you read john he's making a point there is a point to every story and so i guess i was just thinking through what how how do we think differently about this narrative um because it is making a point
1: can i I ask a question first Mm. um as you talk all of that through do you distinguish between stories that are fiction and stories that are not fiction as in true yeah do you, do you think they work differently
2: um yes I, well they do work differently in terms of how we consume them Yeah. Sure. um and in terms of what they're doing well one is fiction one is not so yeah. that's the first basic difference but even in terms of a non-fiction i think this is something that we were talking about Um, was if you've got a, a book on a history a particular mm. time in history There is is a point being Mm. made, and yet that point is going to be a limited point of view. And therefore, Mm. we come to it with scepticism, we come to it with our questions. Mm. Interestingly, I think we're less guarded on our questions and scepticism when we come to a fiction book. Uh, Whereas I think we should be interrogating that too. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So is it fair to say all good writing will be intentional and will be have things it's trying to communicate even like a whodunit, it's you mm. know like the classic fiction story, but when you're dealing with true fiction, there's no such thing as just a neutral, utterly objective, agenda-free piece of writing. Is that almost where you go? No, oh, not necessarily. Is that too strong?
2: In a non-fiction. Oh,
1: almost in, a, in any good writing.
2: Well, yeah, there is. There isn't. I guess it depends on which part of the existential. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we're talking about um is there no point are we waiting for god no we're not (laughs) he's come (laughs) yes
1: but we do want to bring questions to the bible as well don't we like but there's a good way of bringing questions and a bad way of bringing questions is that are are you happy with that as a statement
2: yeah yes for sure
1: what would be the difference between good and bad questions or, or how the, the kind of attitude of the question. You know, how do you distinguish good and bad questions?
2: Yeah, I guess this is what we were talking about earlier, um, which is, you know, we've got a divine, mm. perfect, infallible author mm. who has written this. And so we come to it with a very different relationship to the author mm. than we would with any other text. With any other text, we are, you know, we do come with our questions um, and we want to see where they're leading us. Um, with Maybe our guard up. At least that's, I think, the trend in reading right now. It hasn't always been. Um, but with the Bible, I think we want to ask the questions where it's leading us, mm. but with our guard down, um, because mm. we want God's word to penetrate, and we mm. want to come humbly before it. We want to know the agenda, because mm. it, has value that is of eternal value and eternal worth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's and he's such a trusted author, which I I think Mm. that's what you're getting at. He's a trusted author who has a great agenda. Mm.
1: Um, And he's really transparent with us about that.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Like end of chapter 20.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, he tells us, here's
1: my agenda. This is why I'm writing it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's helpful. Which
1: helps us... To realise that we're not being tricked anyway, like it's yeah. you know like the start of Luke's gospel.
0: Yeah, kind of and it's interesting. I think throughout I don't know if it's throughout John, but I again I am in John seven at the moment. But you do kind of see he's really clear on going. I'm not trying to deceive you. I'm not yeah. trying to trick you. Yeah, and I mean I think that's Jesus speaking to people, but that we can apply that to the scripture as well. Yeah. There's no aim to deceive, but to make things clear. Which you know I'm going to just segue this into. Mm. I mean. John uh, reading it as narrative, maybe even mm-hmm. some comments on John six. Yeah. how you think that helps as we read, yeah. uh, thinking narratively about this, and how yes. you think it helps as we read it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think one of the one of the books on this that I've been really helped by over the years tries to help us think about narrative. I mean, the goal of reading any Bible text is to understand what does it teach us, what does it say. Mm. But he tries to bump us kind of into a bit of a detour on that question by asking how does it say it hmm. and um and he he says there's a couple of reasons for that one of which is it's so easy and, and very tempting and especially with bible passages with which we're a bit familiar we can kind of early on in the process think yep i've got this i know what this is about and we just overlook details in the passage that might be giving us signals that don't quite fit our theory we we kind of confirmation bias i don't know if that's what it is but it, you know there's a And so you want to look really carefully at how it is told. Uh, I guess one example in John 6, you preached on this on Sunday, Foxy. So at any point, jump in with anything that I miss or, you know, you you want to push on. But I think it it begins with a little time reference. So sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. And so that's coming after chapter 5. But then verse 4, there's another much more specific time reference. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And I think it just strikes me, it's odd that he separated those two little time references. It could have been much more natural to go, in verse 1, sometime after this, near the time of the Jewish Passover festival, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and so on, and so on, and so on. And so you think, why has he delayed that piece of information about the timing of the Jewish Passover festival until verse 4? And... It seems maybe that, um, you know, there's a really strong case for going, okay, well, it allows him to set the scene of Jesus up on a mountain and sitting down with his disciples. And that kind of conjures up some Old Testament associations. And then all of a sudden, wham, we're told that this is the time of the Jewish Passover festival and we're kind of really taken to Moses. I mean, you know, so it sets up this whole lot of connections that are going on. Uh, verse 1 Puts it relative to verse five, but verse uh, to chapter five, but verse four puts it relative to the whole Bible story, if I can put it that way. Um, and you, you, kind of drew out lots of the Moses and the Old Testament connections in John six, I think.
0: Yeah, and I think, I, like I do, think when you start looking for the Moses connections, they just come out; they pop more and more. Yeah. I didn't have time; I was meant to do this, but look for the reference in Numbers eleven. But uh, when uh, Jesus says to Philip, "Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat?" If you go back to Numbers eleven, you can actually see that Moses asks that question to God, mm. and he says, "Oh, where should I go, God, to get meat for these people?" Mm. And you start realising that that little detail he really is dropping in there, saying, "Yeah, Jesus being a very Moses-like person." Yeah. Um, and you can find more and more references as you go through, really, mm. of how Jesus setting himself up as a Moses, and and in the, in the end, I think he's setting himself up as the greater Exodus. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: One of the other things I'm really interested in this passage, like this is, you know, one of the very few things, apart from the resurrection of Jesus, like really maybe the only miracle that is in all four gospels. And so you think, okay, that gives us an opportunity to look at some of the distinctive elements of of, um, John's version of it compared to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Like for either of you, um, are there things that pop out at you on that, or, or Fox, especially as you were preparing last week? Are there thing, Are there emphases that you think John gives that are, are a bit unique and that fit in with John as a whole? Not well, because no. you asking the question. I right know, I know. I question. wasn't ready for this question. Oh, I mean,
0: I, I, and I feel like I'm going to cheat right now because Wall did pick up something which I thought was really cool. <laughs> I don't know if you want to share it. Who, oh. You, um, but like, I, no, actually, you tell us. Tell us that thing that you know because I think that was really yeah. cool and I didn't pick it up when I was preparing. Oh, that's
1: right. I think. One of the things I'm really struck by in John's Gospel again and again is he presents Jesus as always fully, absolutely in control of every circumstance. Hmm. And so you you draw attention to the fact that he goes to Philip and asks, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? But he only said this to test him because he already knew what he was going to do. So we know that Jesus isn't taken by surprise at all. But kind of at every point, so it's not just there in verse 5 and verse 6. Um, in verse 11, in John's Gospel, Jesus is the only one involved here. So Jesus took the loaves, he gave thanks, he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. The disciples aren't even on view. And then in verse 12, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. And, and those are two details that we don't get in the other Gospels. In the other Gospels, he gives to the disciples and the disciples give to the crowd. And, and there's no instruction from him to gather up the remaining pieces. And so it, it just, John, really clearly here, there's elements of this narrative that show us Jesus is running the show. He's supremely in control. But that fits with John 1. That's the picture of Jesus we've had from the beginning. And, yeah. It always reminds me of chapter 18, which is my favourite passage in John's Gospel, the arrest scene. And, again... Yeah, Jesus keeps taking the initiative. Even when he's getting arrested, he's in control. It's extraordinary.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So is that something when would you like when you're reading John yeah. and or any any gospel and yeah. you see the same thing happening repeated in another gospel, is that something that you would make a practice of doing? Is read both accounts side by side mm-hmm. and and see the differences? Is that
1: yeah. Um, I really like to do that. One of the things is I've, I find the, the kind of apologetics issues of is the New Testament accounts. Are the New Te- oh, I'm trying to use grammar, grammar. Are the New Testament accounts trustworthy? I find that really engaging and I'm so convinced that they are. So I like looking at, well, where are the differences? How do I think about them? How do I explain them? But I'm also such... I'm so, I want to be so committed in leading a Bible study or in, in reading the Bible passage with a friend or doing a sermon... I don't want to explain one gospel by another gospel because they're different gospels and you want to look at what John said because mm. John had John's purpose mm. and he wrote to fit his purpose which was different to Matthew and Mark and Luke Yeah, uh, not different by a huge amount but different in specific focus and, and so on so I, yeah I want to be aware of those differences and I find it uh, remarkably engaging to think about those things but like I say if I was doing a Bible study or, or reading the Bible with a friend or, or preaching I, I really want to go what does John say because that's mm that's he's
0: written something very deliberately for us
2: and he says a lot doesn't he (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: absolutely and like when we so say someone's listening they go okay i want to read john and i want to think more about how to read as a story what would be little tips that you'd give them
1: yeah that's a good question i think you consider um what are the elements that make up stories so plot is a big one so there's a problem here. There's a crowd that follows Jesus. They've got a reason for following him, but it's also they're very hungry and and they have needs mm-hmm. and they need to be met. And the disciples can't. And Jesus wants to point that out. So you kind of think, what's the plot? What's the problem? And what's the resolution to that problem? That, that's a kind of narrative issue. Uh, you're also thinking about characters. So a few weeks ago we looked at Nicodemus. He'll come up again and again in John's gospel. And you want to look at him over time and see how does that character, how does Nicodemus develop, or does he develop? And um, so, character is a is a is a facet of narrative. Dialogue is huge. I think for me, that's been one of the biggest things in the Gospels. They're so full of dialogue and conversation. And to think really carefully about how those conversations develop and why people say particular things at different times. Um, time is a is a factor. You know, uh, sometimes you'll brush over. Um, you know a whole period of time in, in one phrase, and then you know, the Sermon on the Mount, you'll have three chapters on one seeming sermon, uh, and so there's a narrative pace there that you've got to look at. And so, you're trying to think what are the elements of, of story, what are the elements of, of, a, of a narrative that the intentional author, the kind of theologian, mm-hmm. can play with to teach us gospel theology. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Can you guys think of things I've skipped as you think about narrative?
2: One of the things that I am um, doing, John. So, a lot of the chapters, you know, will start with one of the signs, yeah. and then throw us into a whole bunch of dialogue where yes. Jesus is explaining or or is contending with a crowd who have questions about him, um, and just just dealing with that first part of that chapter with the sign. One of the like, I. I will have that printed out and i'll color code um as i prepare a passage you know looking at all those elements you said and i'll i'll make a note on the narrator's note yeah. as well so like bold it or yeah. highlight it or something because especially in those parts before jesus starts speaking yeah. that gives you a real clue like i think yeah. you mentioned in chapter six you were talking about verse 6 he said this to test him for mm-hmm. he himself knew what he would do and that's something that no one there present would have known but the narrator is actually helping us see what's happening and so that is when I'm preparing those passages I keep highlighting those moments that's helpful
1: I do highlight as well actually when I start a passage and I highlight dialogue and I highlight in different colours for the different characters mm. so I can keep track of who's saying what um, And and I can still remember some passages where that I feel like that was the step that just illuminated the whole passage for me. Mm. Um, just noticing the patterns of speech and who was talking where and when. Yeah, so I find that. I need yeah. physical help.
0: Yeah, I think I found a helpful thing was to also go where the narrative fits within the light of narrative of yeah. John. And I, 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 you know, I remember, I think it was William Taylor. so he's an English bloke, he came out here and he goes, oh, you, you Sydney Anglicans, you're great at reading a passage, you're terrible at reading the story. Mm. Uh, and he's, he's, Or you're terrible at reading the whole book. And his point was to mm. say, you're great at just taking a little bit, but you don't necessarily put in the context. Yeah. You don't necessarily see how it fits with the whole mm. purpose of John, yeah. um, for example. And I, I think I noticed that, so one of the things I, I often do is I try and find, if there's a word that keeps repeating or a little theme, I then kind of go, okay, well, let's look through all of John mm. and see where it pops back up again. And that might give us a bit of an indication of you know how this is being built into the story, mm. and particularly the last week I found it really fascinating with the word blood, like blood, blood, blood. It, drink my blood, mm. in mm. which is a gruesome image. It really stands out, and then you go okay, where else does the word blood get used? Well, only really on the cross, and I think that starts shaping how you understand what it means when he says eat my flesh and drink my blood. Mm. it Starts taking to the cross and. You can kind of see how these images start. Uh, you know, the whole the whole story is connected uh, at that point.
1: Okay. Does verse fifteen take you there as well, Fox? Like just that issue of I, I can't find a reference right now, but um, you know that theme in John's gospel of the hour, like his hour oh, yeah. has not yeah. yet come. Was in chapter two? I, I feel like it's in chapter seven and eight, although he I is. couldn't just find the verses then. Um, but so it doesn't mention that here in chapter six, verse fifteen, but clearly. They want to make him king. He's going to be made king, yeah. but it's, this is not the way, and this is not the time, and these are not the people who will do it. Yeah, is that yeah. that's a narrative theme that's bigger?
0: Yeah, I think that's right, and like I think that's really helpful to also go. You know, you can sometimes you want to just go word search. So if you just go hour and time, yeah. you'll start finding all these things, but then you would have missed uh, you would have burst, missed verse fifteen. Yeah, in your Bible's this episode, people <laughs> because it doesn't use time language, but it's yeah. really clear that this is an important part. Like, yeah they want to make him king but jesus will only be king after he's gone to the cross Uh, and so again it's kind of picking up a a larger theme.
1: and even maybe that sorry i I agree totally Uh, even i'm just thinking as you're talking that knowledge that jesus has like that's something we've seen again and again in john's gospel that's a that's more than any it's bigger issue than any one passage like he knew the canaanite the 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 woman at the well the the samaritan woman he knew the people at the end of chapter two he knew uh, nathaniel in chapter one like he There's a bigger theme there about Jesus' divine knowledge of people, Mm. you know, that we see in verse 15 as well.
0: Yeah. Yes, uh, I'm just going to check the time, people.
2: We could keep talking for ages. (laughs) There's so much to say in John.
0: (laughs) There is so much to say, (laughs) but we, uh, we probably are out of time, and we were just talking about time. (laughs) Uh, And the time has come (laughs) come. and so I I feel like we could say more things about time Uh, but we won't thank you all for coming along Uh, and I really do I mean our our big hope is is that I suppose it is that as you read the Bible and if you have time now every time I say time I'm gonna laugh but if you have time it's just to slow down Uh, not simply ask the question what has been written ask question how has it been written if you have even more time to actually think, well, how does this fit within the whole story of John? How does it fit in the whole story of the Bible? And I reckon you'll get deeper and deeper. And the deeper you go, I think it's true to say, the deeper your faith will grow. And yeah. uh, That has a nice bit of rhyme.
2: <laughs> and
0: that's it from us. Uh, we'll see you next time uh, on Whatever is True.